Listen now to the second reading for this day that comes from Holy Scripture. The lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark. I'm reading uh, from Mark 4, 26 to 34. He, Jesus, also said, The kingdom of God as if, is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nest in its shade. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. The kingdom of God. This phrase is mentioned 14 times in the gospel of Mark. The kingdom of God or It could be translated the dominion of God. This is what Jesus came to bring. This is what Jesus came to show. This is what Jesus came to teach. This is what Jesus came to embody. This is what Jesus came to inaugurate. The kingdom of God, the dominion of God. He keeps talking about it. He keeps teaching about it. He keeps giving examples of it with his actions when he heals people, when he conveys forgiveness. He keeps offering parables to describe it so that they would understand the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel those are the first words that Jesus even speaks in the gospel according to Mark the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God is as if he keeps saying this over and over it's his main message But this kingdom of God idea is really not something that we so easily grasp in our modern culture. Early Christians taught that Caesar's dominion has been overtaken by the dominion of God. In Jesus, a new order is coming into being. Allegiance to Caesar It's not anymore allegiance to God. This was radical. People were not accountable to Caesar anymore, accountable to God. Life was not about serving Caesar anymore. It was about serving God. And this message was intended to be life-giving, life-altering, life-changing, community-altering, even world-altering. Yet in the 21st century, it seems harder and harder to grasp the importance, the pertinence of Jesus and his message and his purpose, the kingdom of God. The great preacher 
of the previous century, Harry Emerson Fosdick said that throughout history, the world has used two ways of getting rid of Jesus. The first is by crucifying him. That's what the religious and the political leaders did in the first century. Crucify him. The second is to worship him without following him. That's how we get rid of Jesus. It's pretty profound to me, isn't it? To you, worship Jesus without following Jesus. We've seen lots in this subject lately, applying Jesus and the Bible to the rationale of removing children from their parents at the border. We're always challenged to discern if we're seeking to embody the dominion of God, the kingdom of God. We're always seeking to discern what's faithful to Jesus. Is it possible to separate children from their parents and say that it's faithful to Jesus? It has become pretty easy to worship Jesus on Sunday and not follow him all the other days of the week. And we get caught up in our work. We get caught up in our politics. We get caught up in thinking about various issues in the world. We get caught up tending to our own lives and we sort of forget about the kingdom of God, the following Jesus part. It's pretty easy to be part of a church community in America and drift away from following Jesus toward the kingdom of God. Recent scholars, recent theologians have been moving away from this idea of the kingdom of God in our modern culture because the phrase has lost its depth, lost its energy, lost its meaning in our modern culture. And more and more, theologians and scholars of the Bible are using the phrase kingdom of God, as in kinship, as in K-I-N, kingdom of God, as in family, as in community, kin, kin as in compassion, kin as in caring, kin as in commitment to God's good intentions. We are kin to God and we're kin to one another and that should shape everything about how we live. That's the message. Jesus came to inaugurate a new reign, far different from the practical and the selfish and the limited and the sad and the world that seems obsessed with despair and death and cruelty and suffering. Jesus came to inaugurate a world of wholeness, of hospitality, of extravagance, of generosity, of inclusion, of community, of joy, of light. That's why I follow Jesus. That's why I follow Jesus. I want to be part of the inbreaking of this kingdom that's about redeeming the world toward God's good and grand intentions. The redemption of the world, especially in these days. That's why I try to follow Jesus. How about you? Toward the kingdom 
of God. And yet we remain so far from this precious kingdom of God. We remain so fixated and challenged at borders all around the world, talking and thinking constantly about walls and security and threats and squashing any thought about the kingdom that God gives to us and calls us to work for. We've been reminded again, especially with the suicides of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade in recent days, and as we hear the news of 30% increase in suicides nationwide just in the last 20 years, all of this is verifying our significant drift from the kingdom of God where compassion reigns, where hope intends to prevail, where we seek to understand and support each other for more wholeness and a more hope-filled world. I know firsthand about this increased concern about suicide with my work with police officers. As we try to help and support police officers who've been in trauma, our newest teaching module at our three-day seminar for police officers who've been in trauma is a module about suicide because police are now killing themselves eight or ten times more often than they are dying in the line of police work. And police are twice as likely as citizens to kill themselves. So the rate of suicide is significant, a growing concern, and the rate of police suicide is multiplied beyond that. We're a long way from the kingdom of God. And there are so many other issues like growing disparity between the rich and the poor, like cynicism, like racism. Here's a true story from one of my best preacher friends, a very distinguished member of, his, of the church that he served died, and he was regular and present on Sunday morning. He served numerous terms in leadership at the church, on the session, he gave generously of his time and money. And yet, when the family was planning the funeral and clearing out his belongings, they found at the bottom of a trunk in the attic the full regalia of the KKK. It belonged to this beloved church member, the patriarch of the family, and this was absolutely shocking to everyone who knew him. Was it some phase of his early life? that he had long departed from? Was this a part of an old self that no longer applied to him? And if that was true, why did he still have the regalia? His family was asking all these questions. Or was it really a clear reflection of his heart despite outward appearances? What was the family to think about these things? This was troubling for everyone. The kingdom of God. We need it so badly, all of us. We are all in need of healing and redemption in various parts of our lives. We need the growth. We need the compassion that can lead us to life, that can lead us to God, that can lead us to God's ways and God's redemptive reign. We all have issues that need healing and redemption. Jesus came preaching and Jesus came teaching about the kingdom 
of God. The thrust of his message was an invitation to view self and to view others and view the whole world in the light of God's love. Expansive, extravagant love and God's power and God's justice, and God's promises for peace. One of the things that characterized Jesus' ministry so much was his ability to see beyond appearance to possibility. He viewed others not so much in terms of what they were, but in terms of what they would be and could be as a result of the liberating, extravagant love of God, redeeming Love of God. An ordinary fisherman became the rock on which the church was built. A dishonest tax collector became a trusted friend and a disciple. Outsiders were invited to be leaders. The unclean were restored in fellowship. The hopelessly ill were made well again. An angry Pharisee who prosecuted and persecuted The church became the apostle to the Gentiles. People who heard and believed the good news of the gospel were obviously liberated from their negative, dark, oppressive, death-like life. And they were given instead the perspective of God, redemption, wholeness, hope, Good things are possible not because of our own efforts, but because of the redemptive, wonderful power of God. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what Jesus was doing. So when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God like a grain of mustard seed, this tiny little seed, which is the smallest seed on earth, but becomes the greatest of all shrubs, he's inviting us. He's inviting us to look at the world with new eyes. In this very brief parable, Jesus is saying, this is the way God does things. God is like a sower who scatters seeds. It grows into a shrub and becomes big and provides shelter for all the creatures of the world. The kingdom of God is like that. The initial evidence seems so tiny, but the ultimate results are great and significant. And more importantly, if you trust that this is how God does things, then what will you do? How will you live? You will begin to look around for mustard seeds. Where are they? These tiny things that are going to become something different. You will live and look for people and signs of this kingdom with faith and grace and hope. You will not be so quick to dismiss things as too small and too insignificant. You will not give up on yourself, not give up on others, not give up on the church, not give up on even the world just because you see so many signs of discouragement and sin and brokenness and pain. Rather, you will trust in God's possibilities even if the evidence is as tiny as a mustard seed. And you will strive to align and keep aligning your life, not with the harsh thinking not with the cruelty of the world, but with God's gracious, redemptive, life-giving, world-altering plans. Align our lives and keep aligning our lives with that. We don't just worship Jesus. We don't just talk about Jesus. We seek to follow Jesus with how we live our lives, how we love, how we prioritize 
our time, how we reach out with compassion and care, how we advocate for justice, how we work for peace, how we participate, each of us, and as a community, in the inbreaking of this kingdom. Glennon Doyle Melton is a name that several preachers in this pulpit have named before. She's a writer, she's a blogger, she's a a disciple of Jesus who has many insightful things and speaks often very hopeful and encouraging words. Just this week, she posted this. Keep going. That's all you have to do, ever. You really don't have to be amazing or fierce or beautiful or successful or good. Just keep going, please. Slowly is fine. Crawling is fine. No feeling is final except hope. If there's a seed, see, there's always hope. God is always at work. That's the promise. God never leaves us. That's the promise. God is never out of the picture. God is real. And God is good. Keep going. Keep going. Keep trusting God. Sounds a bit like the wise speaker from our first lesson today. Familiar words from Proverbs 3. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then there's that verse that's right there but never gets quoted. When we quote it, it will be a healing to your flesh. It will be refreshment for your body. This is what Jesus teaches us. See? This is what Jesus shows us. This is what Jesus keeps talking about, embodying in the kingdom of God. Faith is not a package of certitudes. Faith is not just something we say when we're in church. Faith is rather a reliance, an ongoing, always working on, even sometimes struggling on, persistent, Trust in a future-giving, future-hoping God who constantly makes a way when there is no way. That's trust. Faith is trust in the news that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. We do not belong to the rat race of our consumer society. We belong to God. We do not belong to a national security state obsessed with threats and fears. We belong to God. We do not belong to cruelty or greed or indifference to the city's problems or the world's problems. We belong to God, and nothing can separate us from God's love. We seek to trust God so much with our heartaches, with our losses, with our fears, with our pains, with our struggles, with everything. We trust God so much that we live and we love and we serve in God's work for the kingdom. That's what we do. That is what Jesus calls us to be about, following. How much, how much Does the world need people who really trust God? 
and who live as generous, faithful servants for the kingdom of God. May it be so. Amen. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise, to trust you, to love and serve and follow. That, O oh God, is to abide forever. We seek that way, following Jesus. Amen.